good morning everybody. Uh, my name is Darren. And I'm Monique and we're from 5pm Church. Uh, the Bible reading today is from 2 Samuel chapter 7. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in the house of Cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with the tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, Tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been, cut, have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of all the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so they can have a home of their own, and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore, as they did at the beginning, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with, punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever." Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as, as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word, and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, Sovereign Lord! There is none like you. There is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself, and to make a name for himself, and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods? from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, The Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. 
Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight, for you, Sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing the house of your servant will be blessed forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, everyone has a golden moment. Everyone has a golden moment. For some of us, it's in the past. It's that time that, well, some of us look back on and we wish everything was still like that. For others, it's in the future. It's that something we're working towards, hoping for right now, a golden moment when we expect that everything will be just right. It'll be just as we want it to be. And then we'll be able to take a deep breath and go, yes, this is as good as it gets. And we wish God would agree with us, don't we? And make those golden moments last forever. So why doesn't he? Why are these golden moments so temporary? Well, let's find out. Let's find out. See, we've parachuted into God's story this morning at the beginning of a period of history that was Israel's golden age. This was their golden moment, the time that if they could have you know, frozen everything and kept it just so, then this would have been the time they would have chosen. That dreadful, chaotic period of the judges was now a generation in the past, and now that God had supplied, now that God had supplied... Israel, his king, thanks Jake, now that God had supplied Israel, his king, the nation was united at last and justice and righteousness ensured care even for the weak and downtrodden. Sure, there had been a false start to the monarchy under the self-protective, self-obsessed King Saul from the fateful Benjamite city of Gibeah, but now God had supplied King David. In contrast to the other kings, David was nothing impressive in stature. He was nothing impressive in his family, and he was no standout in the tribe of Judah. He was just one that his father and brothers had overlooked. His wife had despised. King Saul had tried to kill, and the nation had actually chosen civil war before they would come to accept him as king. Up until this chapter in 2 Samuel 7, David was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Yet God is sovereign over his people. David became their king because he was God's choice for Israel. And when Israel finally gave in and accepted God's blessing, the ascension of King David to the throne marked the beginning of the good life for them all. David's kingship began Israel's golden age. And when David found it hard to keep himself from sin, he was soft-hearted and actively repented when challenged. Striving not to lose sight of God, David's love overflowed in song as he composed psalm after psalm in adoration of this God who had given him everything. That same love and gratitude to God is what we heard in our reading also as David had it on his heart to bring glory to God in the most permanent way he could think of. He'd build a temple, an enduring structure for the ark of God that would outlast his lifetime. 
Now, Nathan, the prophet, agreed and had looked like it was all systems go for David to get the glory for glorifying God. But then in God's message back to David through Nathan, the prophet, we see God say, thanks, but no thanks. I appreciate your heart and your desire, David, but you're not the one to glorify me. I'll glorify myself, thanks very much. And the way I'll glorify myself is by bringing more glory to you. You see, God is the giver of all good things for his people, not the other way around. No matter how hard we try, we can't outgive God. We can't out-sacrifice him. And while David was wonderfully keen to bring glory to God, God himself is in charge of his own glory and how it will be magnified. And he had no desire to be limited by a stationary human building, no matter how grand or impressive it was. And this is kind of obvious, really. I mean, think about it. For the God of the heavens and the earth who made everything, the best David can now offer God in this world is non-permanent stuff from the world that God already owns. Nothing that we can do with our hands will bring God anything like the kind of glory that is his due. In fact, we can even reduce his glory by the things that we make. And that's what that second commandment was all about, not making idols. So God says, yeah, thanks, but no thanks, Davo. I'll take it from here. And it's actually better for David than David's own plan, isn't it? Better than David's own plan for himself and for God is is God's plan to display his glory in how he will bring glory to David. Glory for David and his sons in a way that would last longer than a building. It's going to last forever in a way that wasn't stuck in one building, in one place, in a way that will draw forth from human lips words of praise. Words of praise like we see here and we just heard in that response of David in verses 18 to 29. Words of praise that are the overflow of a heart that loves the Lord in thankfulness for all he does and prayers that the Lord, or praise then, that the Lord will indeed keep his promise. Well, this response of David shows us his humble heart and why he is such a good king for Israel. And it also shows us God's heart for his people and how him being glorified and being at the center of all things isn't selfish, or rather, it brings glory and it brings countless benefits to all those who love him. Well, this is such an important moment in the Bible, such a significant revelation about how God's glory operates amongst his people. So let's pause here and mark the beginning of this golden moment. Let's take stock of where we're up to in that three-part promise of God to Abraham about the shape of his kingdom. Remember what it is? God's people in God's place under God's rule. So what does it look like here in 2 Samuel 7? Well, God's people, my servant David. My people, Israel. God's place at rest from their all enemies. God's rule, blessing through the house of David. This is the starting point of this golden moment in history. And as we then take up our Bibles and examine the kingships of David and Solomon from here on through to 1 Kings 11, we find that God really does keep his promises. 
Because in this unified monarchy under David and Solomon, there is peace throughout the land and rest from all the enemies around them. At the height of Solomon's reign, the borders of Israel expand from the Nile to the Euphrates River, just as God had said they would back to Abraham in Genesis 15. And in the centre of the nation stands God's king from the tribe of Judah, just as promised to Jacob, who ruled by God's word to ensure justice, protection and nourishment flowed to all his people. The king sponsored the nation's worship of God at the temple that he has built. And he himself submits there to worship God himself. The Levitical priests governed the temple worship according now, not to what they own thought in their own heads, but to, according to the sacrificial and ceremonial laws that God had given them in the books of the law there in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, which they also proactively taught to the people by word and by action. Wisdom in the fear of the Lord became the culture of the entire nation. And so the creative arts began to flourish. Music, poetry, literature, fine works of art, grand works of architecture, incredible landscaping projects filled the land as the economy of Israel prospered And the people had all kinds of leisure time to explore how creative God had made them to be. And all of this was guided by the words of the prophet who reminded the king to walk humbly before his God and his word. The prophets teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. And whilst ever the king listened to God's word, the golden age continued. Now, for the person in the street, it was a golden moment of prosperity. Life was good because of the way God had blessed Solomon. Silver was so common, it was worth no more than the stones on the ground. Gold, precious stones, rare timbers, rare spices became commonplace. And the splendor of Israel and the wisdom of its king overflowed out to the nations around them as their literature was published in the books of Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. And year after year, the whole of the known world began to seek audience, particularly with Solomon, David's son. And they came to Israel to be blessed by simply being with the people of God. Now, the the accounts of these royal visitors, uh, one like the Queen of Sheba, is there for us in 1 Kings chapter 10. This is what it says there. She, the Queen of Sheba, said to the king, King Solomon, The report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw it with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your men must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God who is delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. And she gave the king 120 talents of gold, large quantities of spices and precious stones. Never again were so many spices brought in as those the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Well, from the person on the street, from the least to the greatest, 
the good life was here. This was the golden age. God had kept his promise to Abraham and to David. They could all breathe a big sigh. Yes, this is as good as it gets. Well, it's no wonder that the Israelites look back on this time in their history with great fondness. And and we Christians too can get all nostalgic about this time. I mean, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if somehow we could recapture the glory days of Israel when everything was right within and the nations came flooding in from without to find out more about God? I mean, look how attractive they were. Look how blessed they were. We really need to do this, we say to each other. We need to recapture what was lost. We need to rebuild this again. One look at this kind of prosperity and most people will say, wow, I'll have what they're having. So why can't we? Why is it that we've never been able to recreate this golden moment? We've tried, sure enough. Israel sure did. The Roman Catholics had a failed shot at it back there in the Crusades. And we're currently in the middle of the latest attempt that started after World War II when along with a whole bunch of other guilt-ridden Western nations, we armed the Jews to the teeth and dumped them wholesale on top of the poor Palestinians. What a disaster that's been. And still there's no golden revival of Israel anywhere in sight. Why not? I mean, it's so frustrating. 3,000 years people have been attempting it. It's not happening. With all our resources and with all our power, with all our desire, why can't we recapture Israel's golden age? Well, to put it simply, we can't do it because God won't let us. God himself won't allow it. You see, this is God's story that we're in. And his story doesn't include a return to Israel's golden age in the same way that it doesn't include a return to the Garden of Eden. We don't get to go backwards, no matter how much we want to. All right then, well, what's the point of it all then? What's the point of it happening in the first place? Why bother fulfilling this promise to Abraham and to David if it only lasts for you know, half a lifetime of two kings? And, and why bother showing us all this in the Bible? Why so much detail? And why get us all excited about how good it could be to live in the kingdom of God if we can't get at it? Why? Well, we need to know what the good life looks like because we actually need to know what the good life points to. Let me say that again. We need to know what the good life looks like because we need to know what the good life points to. You see, the good life God gives us is just a sign that is pointing somewhere else, that points to something better. The good life is is not what we're supposed to aim at or try and recreate. Rather, the good life is a sign which points to the one who gives that good life. It's a sign that shows us what the giver of good things is like. It's a sign that shows us his character, his wonder, his kindness, his generosity and the abundance of his love for those of us he has made. And not just Israel back then. This is also true 
whenever life is going well for any of us in whatever golden moments we enjoy today. God gives us our golden moments as signs intended to point us to him, the true source of all joy. And when we get caught up in the moment and, and, and start to think that you know, this is as good as it gets, then we've missed the point of the sign. And then instead of worshipping and going to what the sign points to, we worship and stick with the sign itself. Have you ever seen someone do that? You know, worship the sign rather than the thing the sign points to? I mean, there's all kinds of examples where this might happen, but the one that we're all really familiar with, of course, is little kids doing this. We shower our love upon them and give them a beautiful gift, and then they barely acknowledge us. They don't thank us. They don't recognise our love. They get utterly fixated on the gift, or even sometimes the box that the gift came in, much to our frustration. And they worship the wonderful gift, and they ignore the overflowing, abundant love of the person standing there that the gift actually points to. And it's not just children, is it? This too is the tragedy that happens when we receive the good life from God's gracious hand and then we worship the gift rather than the giver. And yet there's something more here as well. There's something even more significant going on here in this golden age of Israel. Because in reality, as good as it was, Israel's golden age wasn't as good as it gets. I mean, we're intelligent people. I'm sure you've noticed this along the way. In our table, we've been calling this epoch in Israel's history the partial kingdom. For while the promises to Abraham look like they're being fulfilled, it's also true to say that it's pretty basic fulfilment. It's only partial. At the most basic level, as we look at the accounts of Israel, sickness, death, devastation still have a total hold on Israel. And as for domestic bliss underneath the rule of these kings, well, these two kings, David and Solomon, well, they got mixed up in all kinds of things where, well, they should have known better. Wickedness and stupidity was ever-present. Death was still only a breath away. Reading back over to Samuel and to 7, all through to, two, to 1 Kings 11, and as I read this, if this is the best the kingdom of God has to offer, you know what? I'm not so interested anymore. And you probably also noticed it, that while Israel itself was being blessed, those blessings didn't really overflow to the nations around them. Again, it was only partial. Sure, they were good neighbours, a bit of gold, some regional security and published wisdom. Yeah, those things never go astray. They don't hurt anyone. But it's an enormous stretch to say that the whole world was being blessed through them. No, no. This isn't yet, this can't be yet as good as it gets. Rather, this golden age in Israel was especially set up by God as a sign to point not just to the giver, but it also points forward, points forward to the king who would, whom God would send, the king who would bring the full blessing of God into and his glory into our lives, the forever king who would bring the full blessing to all nations everywhere, not just in Israel. Israel's golden age 
points forward to that one who would be king, not only over those who were alive at that time, but king over death and disaster and disease as well. This golden age of Israel points ever forward to God's forever king, the king that God would eventually send, the king who would turn everything around and begin to make things right in every single sphere of life. Now, the king I'm talking to, uh, talking about is, of course, one of David's sons. It's a direct descendant of King David, just as God promised it would be, a king who is born in the tribe of Judah. And if we follow the genealogies through at the start of Matthew's gospel, we see that that king is actually Jesus. A king who we read is going to die and rise again to live forever. And by living forever, he does so fulfilling God's promise to David. So as much as Israel's golden age is a partial fulfillment, everything in it is a temporary sign that points forward to God's forever king, Jesus. So it's a temporary sign. So the temporary sign, for example, of the prophet teaching, rebuking, training in righteousness, well, again, that points us to Jesus, who is the permanent, final word of God, who shapes and guides everyone who follows him. And the temporary sign of the the arts flourishing in Israel, it points us again to Jesus, the permanent wisdom of God, who makes beautiful even the ugliest of sinner, so that songs of joy emerge also from our hearts. The temporary sign of this rich economy under Solomon, it points us to Jesus who is the permanent provider, whose storehouses never run dry and who makes precious metals common in comparison to him who is the pearl of great price. That temporary sign of the the temple building standing there points us to Jesus, the permanent high priest. Oh, sorry, to Jesus who is building a permanent place for us in God's eternal house where we will dwell in safety in his glorious presence forevermore. And likewise, the temporary sign of the priest sacrificing. It points us to Jesus, the permanent high priest who dwells with us, intercedes for us and presents the once for all sacrifice of himself so that we can be made eternally clean. The temporary sign, that temporary sign of peace without and peace within Israel points us to Jesus who supplies that peace that passes all understanding and invites everyone to come to him and find rest. And lastly, that temporary sign of King David and his sons who rule after him points us to Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, God's forever king. Jesus, whom we read in the accounts of the Gospels, was despised and rejected by those whom God sent him to save. He was beaten with the rod and floggings inflicted by men. And yet he was raised in glory to the throne at God's right hand, where his kingdom will endure forever. For Jesus is the yes and amen to all the promises of God, bringing glory to him and great benefit to all who love him. Friends, right now, right now, 
God is bringing glory to his chosen king by establishing for Jesus a house of people whose hearts are captured and enraptured by him. Don't miss this. Don't miss out on his kingdom. Beware of being so dazzled by the good life around us along the way that you would fail to actually gaze on him who gives these things and to whom the good life is pointing. Instead, we we need to lift up our hearts, lift up our heads, lift up our eyes, lift up our voices in praise for God's king has been put on display for all to see. The glorified king who is also the returning king. Jesus, the son of David. Jesus, the son of God. Amen.